Across Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Rotelli. Today we've got a very special guest, the reigning Major League Lacrosse MVP, Mr. Rob Pinnell. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you today? Of course. Thank you for having me. Everything's going well. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Really excited to, to talk to you and dive in here. But, but before we go further, I want to give the audience uh, a list of some of your accomplishments. Um, can't do them all because we'd be here all show. But honestly, this list is a little mind boggling. Uh, you are second all-time point scorer in NCAA history, uh, three-time Ivy League Player of the Year, the only player ever to do that, all-time leading scorer in the Ivy League, two-time NCAA Player of the Year, Tourton Award winner, Attackman of the Year, two-time MLL Offensive Player of the Year, MLL MVP, World Champion, two-time All-World. When I talk to people I really respect uh, in the game and I ask them who they think the best player in the world is right now, almost every one of them says you. Um, how have you been able to constantly improve and excel at each level of the game? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, we did, definitely didn't need to list all those. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had to pick and you, choose. You have yeah, more. Well, well, you have quite the impressive resume uh, yourself. And as I've said to you, I think the most impressive thing is that you are ACC Athlete of the Year, not just lacrosse player, but Athlete of the Year well, in all of the ACC, which well, is obvi obviously much. everybody knows is an incredible conference. So, um, But, yeah, I think, uh, I think the biggest thing is uh, it's exhausting because you kind of never give yourself a break and you're always looking to – improve and you know very critical of yourself so it does become tiring and sometimes you think maybe I should take a break and um but then you think that's not you and that's not how you got to where you were so uh you know, just always evaluating yourself and and seeing where in your game you can be better and and with that holding yourself to a high standard I think uh, as individuals we all have the potential to be great it's just a matter of tapping into that potential and um, you know, pushing ourselves to to be our very best, and I think it it, it certainly takes you know a certain person to do that. Uh, and you you kind of just realize that when you start to see some of the uh, some of the hard work pay off, uh, it kind of becomes more addicting to a certain extent that you want to keep tapping into that potential as much as possible. Yeah, it's clear you have this drive that just is pushing you to keep working and outworking everybody. Where where do you think that comes from? Is that something you get from your folks or Yeah, I think it definitely started with my dad. He was the type of guy that at the time I didn't love it, but now I'm I'm grateful for it and realize how much his attitude molded me to the the young man that I am today. He was always kind of the dad that it was never great game, unbelievable goals, great, great assists. It was always, well, you missed this goal. You know, you missed this guy <laughs> wide open or you threw a bad pass here. So he was one of my biggest critics, which in turn, I think resulted in me becoming my, my biggest critic. And, um, Growing up, it certainly wasn't the easiest having my dad be like that. <laughs> but looking back now, it uh, you know it certainly is a big reason of why I am you know where I am today. Yeah, 
I always like to ask everybody on the show, um, how'd you get involved in lacrosse in the first place? How'd you, who, who got you started playing? Yes, I started in my best friend at the time. Uh, his name's Timmy Tranko. He played at Stony Brook, actually. And uh, he played lacrosse, and his brother had played. Older brother had played. I had never played, but we played basketball together, football, um, pretty much every other sport. So he's like, give this a try. I tried it in his backyard, and it's just kind of one of those things where I picked up a stick and was able to catch and throw right away and and just kind of loved it and he's like you know come down to a practice and I went down to a practice and um you know his dad was there and his dad kind of coached me in basketball and said you're a point guard we're gonna throw you behind the goal and uh you know I no joke I, I've been playing x attack since I started playing lacrosse <laughs> wow now I've heard you say before that you were not heavily recruited which I find hard to believe when you when you hear all the accomplishments you've had ever since. But tell us a little bit about your recruiting process and how you ended up at Cornell. Yeah, I um, you know my dream school was actually Virginia, which is painful <laughs> for a UVA guy to hear. Uh, but, uh, so why didn't you end up at Virginia? How did you end up at Cornell? Um, well, I, I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, I went to Catholic school when I was growing up and there's no cutoff date. So my parents were like, just going to school right away. Um, so I, I, I have a December birthday, but I actually went ahead a year because there was no limitations where there are in public school. So I was always young for my age. I think that was the starter and being young as it was, I also physically matured later than, than other, uh, kids my age. So you know, I wasn't the biggest, fastest, strongest guy. And as we know in the lacrosse world, when it comes to recruiting, things happen a little bit earlier. And I think I, you know, I always prided myself on the fundamentals and, you know, having a great left hand, you know, as good as my right hand. And, and I did, and I, and I had great fundamentals, but I just didn't have those physical attributes that college coaches were looking for. So when I finally got those, it was too late. And that was, you know, junior going into my senior year of high school. But, you know, I, I did take the PG year and, you know, I was looking at a few schools, mostly Ivy Leagues, and um, Cornell was actually the last schools to come on to me recruiting-wise. Uh, they had seen a highlight tape, and the only reason they really looked at the highlight tape even was because two of my classmates at Deerfield were going to Cornell, and they were on their official visit, and they had one more spot, and the coach kind of asked, do you know of anybody and um, between them being there, Coach DeLuca, who was at Cornell, being a Deerfield alum, and Chip Davis, the Deerfield coach, having a good relationship, the conversation kind of started going. And, you know, next thing you knew, I think a week later, I was headed up with my parents to check out Cornell. And, uh, and two days after that, I was committed there. But had Cornell not come on, I really don't know where I would have went. Wow. So yeah. talk about the decision to take the PG year. Uh, I think a lot of kids and parents are probably faced with that decision at some point. How old were you when you decided you were going to do the PG year at Deerfield? And would you have had an option to play college lacrosse had you not done that? Yeah, I would have. I was supposed to go to Quinnipiac. So had I not done the PG year, you know, I was supposed to go to Quinnipiac in Connecticut, uh, which isn't a good school to be mentioning these days as their program just got suspended. Right. But uh, 
you know, a lot of people don't even know what Quinnipiac is or, you know, where it is. So uh, when I say that, people are like, where? Uh, which is kind of a fun reaction. But for me, it was like, you know, Division One. it was close to home. They were giving me some money. So um, it was kind of just like an option that I had. So I just took it. And um, after my senior year, you know, from my junior year, I had 70 points in the season. And my senior year, I had 130. So it's a big difference in the player that I was. So I realized that I maybe could have played at that, you know, at a higher level. And I really spent so much time. My dream was to play in the final four and the national championship. And uh, I really wanted to stay true to that dream and try and chase it. So uh, I actually decided to PG the summer after my senior year. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's really, I mean, honestly, everything aligned for me. It was it was lucky to a certain extent. I actually got asked the question about how much luck do you think you've had over your career? And at first I said, not much because, you know, everything I, I worked hard to get where I was, but when I think about it, you know, everything had to align for me to get to Cornell. I, you know, I got into Deerfield as a basketball player. The last bed in the school was for a basketball PG, <laughs> a point guard. So I get in there in, you know, I want to say like, August, like the first week in August where I was in school, I was at school like August 25th. So it was very late in the process. Uh, you know, got lucky to get in there. And while I was there, you know, I got lucky that Cornell, two guys going there were going to Cornell. Cornell happened to have a spot open and, um, you know, we both kind of fell into each other's arms. But I, I think it most, you know, more than anything was just kind of my persistence on wanting to play at the highest level that I could. And, you know, we, you know, and, and we know as individuals that when you put so much time and energy into something, um, you, you hate to see, you know, you don't want to just give it up that easily. You want to make sure that, you know, OK, it, it's definitely not happening. Um, and I kind of really never gave that dream up. And um, and now I'm living my dream still today. It's uh, great. So at, at Cornell, your 2013 season was one of the best in the history of college lacrosse. You, you set the all-time NCAA career record for goals, and you won the Toraton Award. What are some of your memories from that historic season that stand out? Yeah, you know, there's uh, I, I think he, over, you know, so I broke my foot my, my first senior year in 2012, and um, and you start to, you know, that was the first serious injury I had. So you start to realize that you have to enjoy the process a little bit more. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's not always about scoring goals and, and having assists and winning games. And, uh, you know, as, as athletes, we get so caught up in just winning in general. And, um, and me in particular, I mean, that's all I think about is just winning and being the best that I can be. So I just kind of enjoyed the process. And, you know, I started new relationships with guys on my team during that season that I wasn't really close with and, and quite frankly, probably didn't like um, because of, you know, them not being on the same page as I was when it came to accomplishing this team's goals. You know, they did things a different way and it wasn't my way necessarily. So I had to I, I kind of relaxed a little bit in a sense. And, you know, started hanging out with the team more socially and uh, just being around the guys more and, and, you know, liking them for who they were rather than not liking them because they weren't who I wanted them to be. That was going to help us be the best team on the field. Okay. So it was kind of just that process of um, that and just being with them and, um, and enjoying that. 
I, you know, I think you look at a few games, you know, look beating Princeton in MetLife Stadium. It's always nice to beat Princeton. Um, <laughs> you know, it was one of one for us. Uh, but it's, you know, getting on the Final Four and, and, you know, just trying to get back to that national championship game, which which I, you know, was at in my, my freshman year. But it was uh, it was just a great year all in all. And, um, you know, really kind of allowed me to change my perspective on playing for, for a little bit and, and, you know, have fun playing for the first time, you know, in a while. So I want to go back to this summer where you're on team USA for the second time. And, uh, you guys had lost in the finals to Canada back in 2014. And this past summer you beat Canada by a goal to win the world championship what was different about this year's U.S. team from the one in 2014? I think the biggest difference was that guys were themselves at all times. Um, I think when it came to 2014, you know, we had an unbelievable team. And it was some of the greatest players to ever play this game. You look at that roster and statistically i think when you look at that 2014 team you know our goals for and goals against differential was one of the best ever i think when it came to team usa yeah i could be i could be wrong on that but i, I think i'm right so you know the, our performance was there I, I think we i think we lacked just kind of being ourselves around each other um and around the coaches and i think in turn that kind of lacked just a little bit of team chemistry hmm. and and coming together I think Coach Janowski is, is the type of coach that wants guys to be themselves. He wants to tell jokes. He wants to laugh and have fun. And um, and I think he that he brings that out in everybody else to just be themselves. Um, I also think more so this time guys weren't there for themselves. Guys were there to win, and, and that was it. You know, guys didn't care who – was scoring who you know was getting assists and um you know i could just honestly speak for my own you know my own self like 2014 i was going to the world games to win a gold medal yeah but i wanted to dominate along the way too you know i wanted to be out there on the field scoring goals scoring assists and and just wanted to play my best and and i had a great games but we didn't win so i kind of evaluated myself this time around and what do i need to do differently and that necessarily wasn't me scoring all the goals and having all the assists and um, more so about me, you know, quarterbacking the offense and drawing the double team and moving it and, and letting those guys, trusting those guys around me to make the, 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 the right plays. And um, I think you saw that a little bit. And um, while my production wasn't the same, I came home with a gold medal, which was the only thing that I had in mind going over there. Um, and, you know, I think everyone... To, to our credit as a team, everyone committed to that, to, to just being the best teammate as they could. Yeah. You talked about Donowski, and, you know, I've heard him speak before, and I think I've seen him list. He, he has, like, three rules for, for his teams at Duke, and one of those rules is be yourself. Um, you know, how much of this team's uh, character came from him, and and what else did you learn from Coach Janowski? Uh, I think he 
you know, is he's the leader of the team. So I think a lot of uh, our team personalities certainly started with him. And, you know, every room that he came into, uh, you know, right when he started talking, the atmosphere, you know, guys, you know, you know, being a little tight, worrying about winning or losing or even earlier in the process, making the team, you know, performing. He would come in, he would say a joke, he'd start laughing. And, you know, the dynamic between him, Seth, and and joe and you know deluca it was uh it was hilarious and unbelievable <laughs> and, and, and kind of just you know set the tone in itself um but i i think it, it he kind of just set that tone there and then allowed us to to run with it but just kind of everyone buying into what he said and um you know he he said you know i'm gonna trust you guys you guys trust me and and trust the what we're teaching you and trust what we're, how we're telling you to play and, and trust that it's going to all work out. And you know, whether it was, you know, we were down to Iroquois in the first game, you know, at halftime and he was, you know, the message was the same. It was just continue to play our game. And, you know, we were down at halftime at Canada and, you know, we're going to the third quarter and it's tied and, you know, we're down by two or down by one with, you know, a couple minutes to play, you know, everything was just like, you know, just continue to do, to do what we've done this whole process. And uh, he kind of set that tone early on to trust the process and, and trust trust each other. And I think that's kind of what we did. So talk a little bit about your mindset heading into this year's finals rematch with Canada. Did the game feel just like the one in two, going into it? Was it a similar feeling that you had in 2014 or was it totally different? Um, I'd say it was, it was pretty different. I, 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 definitely different because 2014, we were so dominant up to that point. Like I, I didn't think there was any way we were losing that game in 2014. I, I didn't, you know, it was kind of my first experience with international rule, you know, rules and international play and, um, kind of seeing that Canada plays a completely different style in the first game than they do in the championship game. And I didn't really know that to a certain extent. So, you know, when, when they played the style in which they did in the championship in 2014, I was like, what is going on here? Um, and and kind of caught off guard a little bit. And never did I think we were going to lose that game. 2018, it's like you go into games against Canada, you're like, listen, anybody can win this game. You know, you don't just think you're going to dominate. And I think that's uh, a humbling position to, to be in and certainly makes you play a different way and, and go about it a different way. So, uh, you know, while we won that first game against them, it could have won either way. Um, you know, we knew they were going to bring play a different style and sit on that ball a little bit, um, a little bit more than they did. And we needed to, to kind of be smart in the way that we played. But you just have to be confident. And I think overall, you just can't change the way that you're, you're playing. You just have to, you know, maintain that style of play. That, that you had the whole tournament and, and continue to trust each other. And, uh, and I think we did that. Yeah, well, it came down to the last second. Um, <laughs> and you, you had the game-winning assist uh, with literally no time left on the clock. How did that feel when you guys uh, scored, scored the game-winning goal? And talk a little bit about that assist because I'm watching the game and for people who saw it, it looked like you know, you, you almost dropped your hands and threw the ball sidearm around so it would go around your defenseman and you put it right on Schreiber's stick. 
Um, it, it, was that on purpose? Is that something you practice a lot? Walk us through the end of that game. Yeah, so, I mean, the whole last minute was a crazy sequence, and I, I can remember being in the huddle. There's not much I remember. I kind of blacked out after we <laughs> scored. But we're talking about it. I kind of remember Coach Janowski. We were in the huddle, and I want to say there was two minutes left, and we had a timeout. We had the ball, and it was a tie game. And we just, we were like, we as an offense wanted to hold the ball for one shot. And Coach Janowski's like, all right, whatever you guys want to do, like, let's do it. So we decided we were going to hold the ball for one shot. He walks away, and then he walks back, and he goes, screw it. We're going to score now. <laughs> and so we're like, oh, okay. We're like, okay, we're going to score now. <laughs> so we took uh, four shots in that last minute because we were just trying to score. And I remember Paul had a great look. He had a great step down. Then I picked it up on the end line, and listen, Hostick's a great defenseman. He was guarding me. Jordan, I think, had a better matchup. I'm like, I'm going to give this to Jordan. So I pass it to Jordan, and he goes and gets topside, and that's when Brody got him good, and um, you know he missed. He, he had a great look, but he just missed. And then I pick it up on the end line again, and um, I see Tom about 12 yards out, and he's wide open. No one's around him. So I'm, like, waiting for the ref to blow the whistle because I'm, like, ready to throw him the ball. The ref blows the whistle. I throw him the ball, you know, like a 30-yard pass. He catches it, and he misses high. So I'm on the left side of the goal, behind the goal, and the ball went out on the right side. So people don't realize I pick up the ball on that right on that left side, and the whistle doesn't blow yet. So everyone's like, oh, he's moving, he's moving. Well, I was just a little gamesmanship as an attackman. I picked up the ball on that side and started running to get my start because I knew the ref wasn't going to blow the whistle until I got to him. So he blew the whistle, and that's when I took, like, two steps, and my defenseman was still in front of me a little bit. Ned set, the, Ned set the up pick for Tom. Tom came off it, and, yeah, I threw kind of a little sidearm pass because I knew that was going to give me the best angle to get it to Tom. And uh, I think that's just you get come with, uh, you know, playing the game. But, you know, I, I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I said I didn't practice that pass. You know, if I'm ever doing wall ball or having to catch at someone, you know, I'm, I'm throwing every which pass that I can because, you know, I never know when you're going to need it. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so um, I want to talk a little bit about all the sports you play because I, I know you're a multiple sport guy. In high school, you played a bunch of them, uh, basketball, football, golf, in addition to lacrosse. You know, what, 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 why did you choose to play all those and how have they helped you as a lacrosse player on the field? I love sports. I think that's, uh, you know, I've always, I grew up loving sports and uh, my dad was an athlete. So, you know, it was, if it was football season, it was football season. If it was basketball season, it was basketball season. And uh, my dad always had the mindset that you're not going to let, you know, one sport get in the way of the other. And, you know, when you're in season with basketball sure you can play lacrosse on the weekends or at night if you want but you know it's basketball season you need to focus on that um because I think he knew as an athlete the importance of playing multiple sports and how it would make me a better lacrosse player and you know like I said I was thrown at x attack because of the way I played point guard in basketball so I think that's like a perfect example of how playing other sports is going to help you you know play lacrosse for for me it was all about controlling the the floor and, um, you know, seeing people in front of me and, and, and playing that way um, and orchestrating an offense. And I, and I kind of brought that right over to the lacrosse field. And 
Um, I was always in my best shape going into lacrosse season from basketball. I was in worse shape at the end of lacrosse season. Because <laughs> it's true. It was, it's true. I mean, I think the running and the side to side agility that you're doing constantly in basketball is just unmatched. Um, but I play golf. I mean, that's my favorite sport. Probably. I think, you know, the hand eye coordination is so familiar with lacrosse. It just helps there. And also just the mental side of things. But, you know, listen, every sport, whatever, you know, whether it's hockey or basketball or football or baseball, you know, it's all going to have skills that you need in, in lacrosse. And I think that's the beautiful thing about lacrosse is that it encompasses so many sports. It's not just lacrosse, right? You, it's, it's not just basketball or not just hockey. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of everything in one, which I think is a really unique aspect of it. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, in the MLL, you've played for the Long, Long Island Lizards for the past six years. Three of the last four seasons, you have led the league in points. This past summer, you led the league in goals and assists, which is basically unheard of. How has the pro game changed in that time? And how have you changed as a player over the past six seasons? Yeah, I, th- I think you just look at the the biggest thing that I see in the pro game is the, is the guy's commitment to it. And when you look at, I think years ago, you look at guys that played and most of all of them had other jobs, you know, I'd say a majority of them. And now you look at a pro lacrosse field and, you know, there's maybe a, you know, a handful of guys that are full-time lacrosse players. There's guys that are playing lacrosse and then are coaching lacrosse or, so I think the commitment to the commitment from players to, to be as good of, uh, a player that they can be and be full-time lacrosse is, is greater than it's ever been, which I think is great for the sport. And then as far as myself, I think, you know, it just kind of starts with we, how we kind of started this, this podcast today, which is just kind of me beating my, my heart, my biggest critic and looking at myself year over year and what do I need to do to improve and, uh, and be better. And I think the biggest thing with the MLL was just kind of improving on my physical fitness and, and being in the best shape that I can be in because, um, I think you can find an edge there. I think when you get to that level, guys stick skills and ability to score is, you know, everyone's so good. But if you can, you know, maybe have a little more stamina than your defenseman at the end of the game or be a little quicker than him for, you know, more consistently throughout the game, I think you'll start to find an edge and start to find an advantage. Um, you know, I think the other thing was just my strength, you know, trying to be an, an equal equal du- dual threat with a speed dodger and as a physicality dodger, because I think you get all sorts of defensemen that you come across in the MLL. So just want to be prepared for anybody. Yeah, your your training um, is next level, and you post a lot of it on social media. On your called Live Fit in Thirty. You know, yep. talk. What is that program, and why did you decide to make this fitness uh, regimen public? Yeah, I think it's just important to me. I, I think it's something that I'm passionate about, too, more than anything. I think, you know, like I said, with the recruiting, right, I, I never had those physical skills, those physical attributes. So I, I think now that I do and, and because of when I started developing physically and working out and, and how much I saw me benefit as a player, I, I just put more emphasis into that, I think, because I see – I'm at my best when I'm at my best physically. And if I can continue to push my limits physically, then I think I'll continue to push my limits as a player. Um, and I, I think my friend Brian and I, we train and, and yeah, we do these 30 minute workouts with their high intensity. And you're basically, you're not resting the entire time. And 
we've kind of gone away from the heavy weights and just lighter weights, but a lot of movement and cardio based weights and, and exercises and, uh, and it's been great. And I think it's really allowed me to, to take my conditioning and fitness to a new level and, you know, why not share it with other people? I think, you know, I don't want to take any credit, but I think since I've started kind of posting and, and getting at, you know, getting after it a little bit with certain machines like the assault bike and the skier, um, you're seeing a lot of more players, you know, posting and doing the same. So um, kind of makes me happy to see that, you know, guys are seeing the same benefits. I love it. Um, and you recently played for the U.S. indoor team. Um, talk a little bit about box lacrosse and how that's changing the way you see the game. Oh, box lacrosse. It's, it's a humbling, it's humbling for me. Um, man, I, I can't score as it is on a, on a six by six to score on a four by four or whatever it is, is even tougher. Um, but it's fun. I think it makes me have a new appreciation for, um, the Canadian players and the native Americans and with what they do and, and how they're able to do that. It's, uh, incredible. And, and then a guy like Tom Schreiber who made that transition so seamlessly to, to, from, you know, the MLL to the indoor league. And um, it's a it's a fun game. It's a physical game. Uh, I, I think when push comes to shove, I just throw my body around as much as possible if I can't get the ball in the net. And I know that if I'm hitting someone and banging a body somewhere, that I'm doing something right. Um, but it's been – it was a lot of fun, and it was something that kind of just Team USA asked me to get involved with, with and, and, you know, try and learn. And, um, and it's been a fun process so far. You know, we'll see – where I go with it, but uh, it's it certainly I think it's it's important for especially younger players to do both. I think the indoor game certainly can help your outdoor game. I I haven't decided whether or not I think the the outdoor game can help indoor players, but I think the indoor game is one that can help you know your outdoor game just with inside finishing and cutting and you know being physical. Like you know look at Tom Schreiber who played indoor for um, two years. And, you know, the way he scored the game winner outdoor was a, on a twister and chopping the guy's stick down in front of him so <laughs> he could free his hands to catch the ball. And then he, you know, he twisted it in the goal, which is a total indoor move. Everything he did was indoor about that winning goal. That's a great point. I did not see him chop the stick down. That's that's a cool. That's that's yep. interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. You recently started the Attack Academy, which you call High Intensity Attack Training. Tell us a little bit about what that is and why you started it. Yeah, so my my vision for the Attack Academy is to kind of combine my knowledge of the position of attack and scoring goals and and making assists um, with my what we just talked about, kind of my passion for fitness and you know combining the two for an intense training session that's kind of a hybrid of both i think it's something that really is not being done and i think it allows me to provide the most value that i can with attackmen and or offensive players you know middies are more than welcome to come as well but um just kind of to provide them with instruction and and you know how to play the game and provide them with a workout so they're, you know, they're getting a great workout in and then also just showing them how they need to train in their own time. You know, how do I train? How do they need to train to get to that next level? And I think that's kind of my vision for it and, um, you know, kind of just getting started with it. But I you know, I, the camps are great and, and stuff. And, but, you know, I, I don't, 
I'm not so much into teaching a kid how to catch and throw anymore. I, I want to work with kids that I can really provide value to, you know, at the position of attack and, and really teach them how to play um, the game at the highest level. And with that also kind of increase their, their physical fitness. I love it, man. How can we get one of those out to Northern California? We'll talk. I'm sure we'll, uh, I'll be out there soon enough with you and, uh, and the advanced program. I'd love to love to make that happen. I love it. Done deal. All right. Well, Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. Congrats on all the success and good luck with everything moving forward. Thanks for having me, Chris. Gr greatly appreciate you having me on. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Thank you.